Book Club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 102, and our book is Pilgrims of Fire by Justin D. Hill. Pilgrims of Fire! Fire! Which tells the story of Sister Heloise as she joins the Indomitus Crusade, would be the easiest, pithiest, and retraces the steps of St. Catherine. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish at very, very long last in great detail. Uh, first off, quick little... Um, a quick little disclaimer here is that I am the reason <laughs> yet again, uh, actually it's not hockey this time no. uh, for us being late. I had an emergency uh, hospital visit this weekend and a surgery and it's been really fun. I'm living my best life. So I am also going to apologize in advance. My sound quality is going to be pretty garbage tonight, guys. I'm kind of sitting close to the mic when I'm talking, but I'm going to be falling back a lot when I'm saying comfortable guys, <laughs> you know, but her what did you talk about this book? Her husband Damn and it. I keep telling her to stop worshiping Nurgle, and she just doesn't listen. And so she has to like get a gallbladder removed because of it. I have a hockey player. It is impossible to not have welcomed Nurgle into my life. Um, she did a two-hour session yesterday on the ice with the high school boys, and um, the smell when she gets in the car—it's—it's it's harrowing. Um, and I, I mentioned specifically the high school boys because believe it or not, they smell worse and it's not necessarily because of like, you know, the hockey funk, uh, it's because to quote my daughter, they smell like death and Arctic thunder acts. So, um, she comes off like she has contact stink and she stinks and I'm just like, Ugh. anyways, this is how I accepted Nurgle into my heart. That's how they get you to the children. <laughs> With that, let's dive in. <laughs> this this question format is going to be a little different. We're going to talk about the book, obviously, but I want to have a little bit of a meta commentary because Carrie and I discovered something very interesting about this book, and it is that um, people aren't digging it as much as we kind of thought that they would. So let's dive in and start at the top, as always. Do you like the book? I loved it. It was great. All right. I... I really liked it. I really did like it. I really enjoyed it. There are a couple complaints that I have. I don't think you understand. I liked a sister's novel. We're going to talk a lot about that. The, actually. They, they were the main characters. And I liked it. Like normally I only like the sisters when yeah. they're supporting cast. But no. This was awesome. I have an entire question that I'm basically calling the Carrie question coming up specifically <laughs> about that because, um, and I, I want to uh, talk, you know what, we'll go a little out of order here and we'll talk about what parts stood out to us here in a bit because I want to, I want, let's address the elephant in the room here. It's like, did we like this? The sisters in this book, did it address, and I'm going to use R because we both have these same complaints. Did it address some of our core complaints in previous depictions of the sisters? Um, Yes, and also no at the same time, I think. Um, 
this to me was like I've always wanted with the sisters because it shows how badass they are, how what amazing fighters they they are, you know, and they even talk about when they're going up against, you know, world eaters. Or no, it was the Crimson Slaughter. Pretty much world eaters. World eaters, diet world eaters, world eaters okay, light, whatever right. you want to say. Um, the artists formerly known as the world eaters. <laughs> yes. They don't just eat worlds. They slaughter them. All right. That was pretty much crimson the thing. Crimson and crimson. Right. Well, because that was the color of blood. But not in crimson uh, and clover. No. And they even talk about how that they're not these augmented humans. Right. With this, you know, armor and then not only that, but they have, you know, the gifts of the gods or whatever. And these are still women that are badass and are going forward. And the other thing I really appreciated in here was when they talked about the sacrifice that they make that, but it wasn't in a slitting my wrists way. It was, we do this to inspire others. And it's amazing. I was like, okay, I can get by, I can get behind that type of martyrdom. I may not agree with it, but I can get behind that more than I messed up. Woe is me. I must wear this cloak of repentia and, you know, absolve my I my uh, perceived sins. Because half the time they're not really sins. They're not really mistakes. You just... I'm sorry your mom broke your Lincoln Park CD when you were a kid. You know, now you just, everything's just awful. That's kind of how I've always felt about him. But I love the way that Justin D. Hill, like, really highlighted that part of them was how they're going forth and they're singing and moving forward and they're inspiring all these people. They inspired a freaking penal legion. Guys who have nothing to live for. I, I, I want to talk about that portion of it a little bit more here in a minute because there's a lot going on there but yes I, I i agree with everything you just said they the sisters so i always like the martyrdom piece it always becomes this like i just want to die for the emperor i just want to die for the emperor i just want to die for the emperor or this i must repent because for one moment in an instant a fraction of an eye i wondered will we win and now i deserve to die like points if you know what book I'm referencing um but it's like it's these things that I, I've always really not liked that piece of it but this one actually served I thought he really tempered it very well and he presented it as you said like there was a scene very early in the book when I was like oh oh okay and it's there's a character who's like I, I will stay back I will fight even though I know I'm gonna die I, I, I will become that martyr I will do this and Heloise as she's leaving she's like Oh yes, this will this will inspire the troops. And we get to see that, right? Of this like this bold last stand of this person. And it's okay, it serves a purpose. And they're yes, not I think just... that's always been my thing. Yes, you just nailed it right there. The martyrdom with a purpose. Like, so what I think of is this one movie that haunts me to this day, U five seven one. Ah, uh, yes. Do you know exactly what scene I'm gonna reference? I know the here? exact scene you're talking about. Yes, it's awful. It is awful awful mm -hmm. and that and the guy knows he's telling him to die to save everybody else and that is what i'm okay with with this with them going i stay behind i know i'm going to die but that's okay but because it, it's to save everybody else that i'm fine with not the whole 
well, I'm supposed to go sacrifice myself. No, no, no. That's not your purpose is to sacrifice yourself. Your purpose is no. to fight for the emperor and make it the best fight you can. And if the fight means you sacrifice yourself in this moment, like so many space marines do, knowing they're going to sacrifice themselves, that's it. Not this whole... Right. I'm, the only thing I have to is die for the emperor. No, you're supposed to fight for the emperor the best way you can. And if you die in the process, so... So be it. I don't want to say it good, but like, so be it versus, like you said, the I had doubt once or I questioned my superior. So now I just, you know, need to go fling myself into death. Yeah, exactly. Now I need to sling myself off a cliff. And I think one of the things that really frustrates me about this, and I know at this point, like this is actually, I think this is gonna be like the third podcast in a row that I've talked about this. And I understand that the Imperium is very wasteful in general, but there's just such a waste level to it that I'm like... The amount of training, the amount of like the dollar value. <laughs> Can you tell that I did contract work in the past? Uh, the dollar value on each of these sisters. I'm like, the idea that you just throw all of that away, the time, the effort, the value like, of at you your is earliest too good. chance. At your earliest chance. And look, here's the thing the Death Corps of Krieg does that, and it makes sense especially after reading the Krieg book, after they pretty much confirmed, confirmed that they're yeah. all just clones and they're all, they all have very short timers anyways. Totally get it. These people are disposable, essentially, the Krieg. They view themselves as they, they're not going to live long because of the world that they live in. I don't know how great the cloning is. Um, like these people, when they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're just going to throw ourselves senselessly. Because remember in that book, they talked about a lot of times how they were like, God, it's so senseless. That makes sense. The sisters don't. The sisters, it has always bothered me that they're just like, oh, like I'm so zealous. And and I understand that. You can that. be zealous without throwing yourself in death's jaws the first chance you get. Yeah. That's what confused me. And they're I'm not saying, nuns with guns, not zealots with guns. Like, And we've seen, case in point, we've seen priests that are really zealous and I'm, gonna talk, I'm not talking about Frater Matthew, but I'm talking about other, you know, zealous priests who don't throw themselves in. And they're like the, at the complete opposite end of that. They're zealots and yet they're fat, lazy efforts, <laughs> you know, but they're still like zealous. It's, it's a weird dichotomy. And so I know that they kind of do that to like kind of be a nice opposite to the sisters. But at the same time, like, but the sisters don't have to be the complete opposite where they are zealots and let's just throw ourselves into the jaws of death. Like we don't have to do that every single time. Like to me, the right. battle sisters, it's about being smart tacticians on top of that. Like these are badass women. And why are they badass women? Because they can do everything the space Marines can do, but without augmentation. That is why I've always, you know, wanted to like the battle sisters. And this they, book they have the power armor, they yes, have the weapons, this they book have the training. Highlighted this perfectly. This book I thought did a really good job of showing that outside of the space marines, this is the closest thing you can get with an unaugmented human. And by the way, yes, they are women, and yes, this is again, they are the nuns with guns, but that's terrifying if you're the enemy. And these are all very strong, very capable characters who, and I, I've talked about this a lot as part of like feminist critique. We see a lot with female characters, there's this tendency to either like, they can't be confident because then they come off as cocky. So we have to make them constantly question themselves and constantly not think they're good enough. 
we didn't really see that in here outside of a couple of characters, right? And people are people. People are unique. You're going to have that across the board. Not everyone's going to be the same. So I, I liked that. I got mm -hmm. that as much as Lisbeth kind of drove me a little bonkers. I was also like, okay, I, I get what you're doing here. And then there was also this idea that it, there's also this theory of like, or they become the, I take no questions. Nobody talk to me because I'm a strong independent woman and I dress down everyone who talks to me. And he resisted that urge too. These were just characters who, and the reason that I really liked Heloise was that I felt that Heloise was just pretty comfortable in who she was. Yes, she had questions. Yes, she doubted. Yes, she wondered about things, but you didn't get the she impression didn't even that like she was one of, she didn't like one of her superiors. Right. And she wasn't gonna risk like, herself over it. Yeah. Like this is this is a very human. I mean, they still show that these people are very human. And I thought that was really well done mm -hmm. because again, they don't just sanctify them entirely, but then they also don't make them just, oh God, so obnoxious and whiny. And I really thought he did a good job of it. And I thought he did a really good job of showing that, yeah, these women are fighters and they are warriors and they have to see that whole scene going through the rift, the psychiatric maledictum. It shows these like, these women they face stuff and uh they have they have the power of bolt guns and the god emperor on their side <laughs> like th that is for some reason and this is this is the thing that about the sisters that's always I mean, really weird to me oh my God, because as an atheist prayed, that shit inspires me they prayed the gellerfield back to life how more badass do you gotta be it's just like damn mm -hmm. i mean just oh my okay well, and like, there is, and again, I don't understand why, because I say this again, like as an atheist, I don't understand why these, the, the sisters in particular, really just check all my boxes. Because that concept that this belief in the God Emperor is that powerful, there, and here's where you get into this, is it really the God Emperor or is it just their belief? But their belief is so strong and their prayer is so strong. They can mend a Geller field and they can do all these other things and they can inspire. And it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> like as a person who definitely wants to believe in that divinity of the emperor, right? And it's really, it makes that argument of, oh, he's not a god. Is he though? <laughs> like <laughs> if he's not the Warpshire as heck thinks he is. Because did you see this? I thought that was great. So we have them on one hand, right? In their in their purity and their sanctity. Then we have the Kim dogs. <laughs> did did they serve a good narrative purpose as I being like them. that foil? Were you invested in them? Yes. I was very invested in them. Um God, I can't uh I was actually kind of surprised that Salem wasn't knifed in the back before the end i was kind of uh, yeah i was kind of rooting for chalice to do so especially after they jumped on him and like decided to break his fingers and put a cigarette in his eye for fun i guess i don't even exactly know why they did that but i was like okay I, I mean i know that they're all like you know former prisoners and and all that and you know and i was really sad for that one you know former colonel <laughs> Had to be put into the penitent engine, but at the same time, that's like what he wanted to do. 
it, it, so at first when they came in, I was like, oh, okay, a penal legion. All right. Um, and, 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 you know, like when I was first reading them, like that first chapter of theirs, I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. They're, they're like super ungodly and clean. And these guys are the dirty, very ungodly, but they're both fighting for the emperor. I, I get what you're doing here. But then like the more and more you read into it, mm-hmm. you can't help but get a little invested in them. And yeah, it is, it, it is one of those concepts that I really like in the Warhammer 40k universe, because we've always said this, right? Like, what is the most feminist science fiction universe in the world? Warhammer 40k. Because if you can pull a trigger, you can fight for the God Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, they, they do not wait. Like, as, as wasteful as I say that the Imperium is, because it is, they don't waste people. Like, in that, tra- like, if you can pull a trigger, you can go fight. Yeah. So, like, prisoners, like, these are horrible human beings. And guess what? They could still fight, and guess what? There was you something too kind of will fun die about for it. The God Emperor, <laughs> right? Exactly. Like at least go die for the God Emperor in your last moments of your horrid life. Um, it, it there was something very there was a nice juxtaposition between them. And <laughs> sometimes when the sisters were just getting maybe a little too pure, they would jump over mm-hmm. to a Kim dogs, and you were like, oh, there we go. One thing I kind of one thing I kind of liked about the Kim dogs was also is that you know with Shin, he's, when he said I'm gonna go off for a bit, and they're all like, yeah. And they talked about how like they had an idea of what he did, but they never wanted to know. I was like, well, dang, now I want to know. And they never did tell you, but I kind of liked that they never did. I kind of did too. Um, I, same, same. There was always a thing where I was like. What is it, though? But it, quite frankly, I think by the end of the book, the way that they had built it up so much, like, it didn't matter. His character, it, it really, A, it didn't matter. And B, there was nothing that they could have said that you would have been like, oh. Right. Um, it, again, I'm I'm one of those people, like, the, uh, what is, uh, what, what is in Marcellus Wallace's briefcase? I was really, really pissed when Tarantino basically confirmed that it was his soul because I was like, we didn't need to know. Like, your own inference was just fine. You could put anything that you wanted in there. I never thought about about what was in there. I didn't care. That wasn't the point of what was in there. It was not the point. I mean, sometimes it, it, like, I understand the desire to be like, what was worth killing this many people over? Like, I kind of get that, but you could have said drugs. You could have said money. You could have said his soul. You could have said I mean, gold bricks. Like, the reason why I didn't think anything because, like, there's these, you know, three or four punk kids that decided to steal from him. And, like, there's all these, like, again, you could have put pretty much anything in there. They're criminals. You could have yeah. put anything in there, and we would have been like, seems legit. Um, I mean, it this was kind of one of those things, too. Could have been like 10 gold bars. Shiny yeah. gold, we have no idea. Yeah, exactly. And you would have been like, hmm, fair. Um, they, they've established him as being ruthless. And so this character, too, I thought they established him as being ruthless. He's a criminal. We've seen him in action. He is not a godly mm-hmm. man. But it, it didn't really matter what he had done. So I actually kind of liked that sort of thing. There were a couple of things that didn't get revealed that I was kind of like, oh, Oh, but that was not one of them. That was one where I was like, oh, that's fine. Um, I liked, I, I did think they served a good purpose. I thought that it was, again, it was kind of good to have that juxtaposition. I always felt like Justin Hill did a really good job of bringing them in just when the sisters were getting maybe a little too sanctimonious. Mm-hmm. 
we needed to temper it out a little bit and remind you that there are normal humans um, and not corrupt world leaders or people on, sh- like, you know, the denizens of the Imperium. Right. As <laughs> repugnant as they occasionally are. So one of the things that I think this tees nicely into, because there's a lot to talk about here, is that in this book, the the concept of the sororitas, the world of the sororitas, is almost a setting in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? You have this, you have the beginnings across these three timelines, I guess you would say, as these three stories kind of converge, you have the sisters, their presence is everywhere and it is felt and it shapes everything. Was this effective? Did this work? Did you under, did you like that approach to it? Um, I had a hard time understanding why at first, like, you know, it was like, okay, so we have this thing that's, you know, right as the, uh, the eye of terror splits open the galaxy, which is kind of neat. And then we have, you know, a hundred years in the future, but I didn't understand like, what was the purpose of, um, gosh, I don't remember the name of the little girl, Branwen. Like, what was the purpose of bringing her into this? Like, what was all, what was all that about? So it was, it took me a, you know, you know, cause we always read those books where it brings up something from the past and you're like, I don't understand how this affects anything. And then it all ties it in, in, in the end. And I thought it did a really good job of just as I was like, but what, you know, what did happen to Branwen? And then, then it showed, then it pops up like, you know, like uh, another chapter would be then, um, kind of reminded me a lot of like, I was telling the kids about, um, when I was first reading, uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Like I was reading these chapters to be like, okay, I got to the cliffhanger and then they jump over because the two towers get split up into two factions. Basically there's Bilbo, not Bilbo, <laughs> wrong Hobbit book, but you know, there's, oh. there's Sam and Frodo and then there's everybody else. And just as I was like really getting into everybody else, they got into cliffhanger and then it went over to Sam and Frodo. I was like, no, I don't know. I don't care about them. And then you'd get, you know, to return to the King and it would start off. But the other guy's like, oh, but I don't care about them. What's going on with Sam and Frodo? It was like such so masterfully done how he did it. And I felt like this did that too. I was like, well, I'm not ready to like not read about Brand Brandwin anymore. Okay, I'm reading about this now. Oh, that's really good. No, I don't want to go back to Brandwin right now. You know, just I thought that was so so well done. And then how it just all kind of like came to head. Because all I could think of is when I when it really dawned on me what they were talking about in this world, it's like there's no way anybody's still alive. Ah, uh, I guess I have little faith that the Abbey would still would still be standing, which is right. kind of crazy to think about. But then it kind of made, I don't know, the whole thing with Lisbeth at the end seem even more ridiculous, in my opinion. We're going to talk about the end in a second. Um, that's probably one of the things that I struggled with the most. I think... I would, I would agree mostly with you. I think, I, I think some of the transitions I was kind of like, okay, they felt a little jarring to me. I didn't have quite that smoothness there. I do like, I like the idea of the three stories converging in on it, right? And even though once we go into the past and then we go into the future and we go into the past and we go into the future, you kind of know 
that like okay these are eventually all like what's going on then is mm-hmm. definitely going to affect now like this is going to have some when sort will of pro- then be now soon how and soon real soon <laughs> um they um I, I like that narrative structure i do we're going to talk more about I'll, I'll save those thoughts for later because that is one of the things that's getting flack online um okay That'll be a meta credits or uh, commentary, which will be about half of this because I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> um, but I thought that that I, I thought that did it did work well, and I do understand what you're saying with like I, you know like oh I'm not ready to move away from this character yet, and so I think generally it worked for me. Where I was like oh but oh no okay this is good too, <laughs> like, that's fine I'll take this too. But there were some times where I was also like. Mm. Like, I feel like we left a lot on the table here. Um, I also did like that, um, similar to Knights of McCrag, this book all of a sudden goes horror on you. And you weren't really expecting it. I should have known as soon as they went through the Cicatrix Maledict and we should have been like, oh, <laughs> supposed to get real now. <laughs> but I thought it, it was really, it goes from a really nice battle book to all of a sudden just, oh, by the way. The Skatrix Maledictive is awful. And, and I think I've said this in previous podcasts, but anytime a Gellerfield fails or cracks or falls, your girl is all about it. <laughs> That's I, I feel like mentally I sit up. Yeah. Exactly. Every time it happens, I'm like, oh, now you have my full attention. <laughs> things are going to get good. And uh, things did get good. And I thought that, and I will say, having read previous Justin Hill books, mostly the Cadia series and some of his short stories here and there, I was not expecting, the, A, the horror element, mm-hmm. but B, to handle the horror element so well. Um, yeah. Not not like, I, I enjoyed the stuff in Knights of McCrag a little bit better, obviously, because that whole thing, that, that, che- that like, clicked a lot of my well, things that, was that different, I really Because they were, like, lost at sea in a way too so (laughs) so you had like kind of little different things going on there but yeah exactly they um that was it was a little bit of a different flavor but again I thought and here's the thing is that (laughs) reading that section of the book made me really angry at Peter Fahavari all over again (laughs) Oh my gosh, I didn't even <laughs> think about him, but okay. Bear with me for a moment. All right. The sisters. I have to think. I, I, this is, I'm about to make a bold statement here, so I'm... I, I, but yeah, I think I, I stand by this. The sisters, perhaps more than any faction, deserve a really good horror novel. Um, I think they are uniquely suited to it. And maybe that's because I, I'm a sucker for, like, exorcism movies. Um, the idea of the holy versus the profane. I really like that sort of stuff. Um, well, I feel we as kind though... kind of got that in Deacon of Wounds. Yes. Yes, kind of. But that guy sucked. <laughs> like, he was not a good person. <laughs> he, was, he was not good. It, no, the book was good. I, I'm not saying the book sucked. Yeah. and that Or that David Annandale did a bad job with the character. I'm just saying that that character was... That guy sucked. Um... But I, I feel as though just their general demeanor and their general outlook and the way they handle themselves, especially in this book, right? When they describe some of the scenes and some of the stuff that they're seeing and how they deal with it, 
they're uniquely suited to that sort of a setting. And then it made me think of Requiem Infernal. And then I got pissed all over again. They got done dirty. You I'm okay? No, I'm not. We haven't read one of his books in years. We got to let it go. No. No. No, I, I legitimately want people to know. Every now and then, that book, like a scene from that book, will just pop in there. <laughs> like Ray, it just pops in there. <laughs> and then I get salty all over again. Um, actually, I think the thing for me, and this is, and this is your fault, this is all your fault, it was when you compared her to the cheerleader from Heroes. Compared that who? The, I can't think of the main character from that book now. But her whole, like, she had the dark version of her and the light version of her, Sister Mercy and you see generic name. When we were done discussing that book, I flushed that 100% out of my memory. I couldn't tell you a thing that happened in that book. Why? Why did that not, why did it not lodge itself in your brain <laughs> like a splinter of fuckery? Because I hated it that right. much. That's that and the reverie book. The only thing I remember about that is the stupid broken mirror. And then that makes me mad all over again. But everything else in that book's flushed out of memory. That book, that book lives rent free in my head, y'all. Um, less so than Requiem Infernal. Requiem Infernal. <laughs> um, and uh, anyways, this book got me a little salty again, too, because I was like, this, like, this is actually a good horror portion with the sisters. They deserve better than Peter Fahari. Well, he hasn't written anything since, so. I'd like to say that we had something to do with that. <laughs> I think you just jinxed us. Like, all of a sudden, they're going to be like, by the way, guys, new that horror is, novel. That is true. That is true. And we're going to be like. And then you're going to oh. make me read that one, too. Which I and will... it's, Because it's going to have fire cover art and then i'll flush that from my brain as well so you talked a little bit about the end um talk to me about the end how did you feel about it what did you think it, let's start with lisbeth the floor is yours the conch is yours all right so i've said many times that i don't understand half the time when the sisters get all like oh my god i made a mistake or i doubt it or blah blah blah, blah, blah. okay so she did that Oh, it was because she felt like she didn't deserve the honor of being St. Catherine. All right. Just, you know, just stop. All right. All I can think of now is Monty Python. It's like every time I try to talk to somebody, it's like, sorry, this, forgive me that, and I'm not worthy. It's kind of how this feels. You get an honor and they're immediately like, but I'm not worthy. Oh, just shut up. Just, just stop. It's that like, point has your has your dogma and your your you, you know what you don't see this in the Christmas pageant little kids when they get to play the Mother Mary they don't sit there and whine that they're not worthy all right they get excited that they're actually going to be up there on stage so that their parents can see them okay they actually get like a role like people know who they are you kind of have this with the Saint Catherine little you know the ceremony. And all you can do is whine about how unworthy you are. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. It's it's not like... a comparison just broke my brain a little bit because <laughs> you know <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> I do know you're right, actually. Yes, um, there is this that because okay. obviously she was worthy. The light of Saint Catherine came in her, and she ended up killing like a whole bunch of demons and saved the Abbey. Okay, and then she decides, but I'm not worthy. But shut up, you are. It's been proven. All right. Yes. But she decides I, that she's not. And so she's like, I want to take on the Repentia. And the canonist is like, well, sorry, they're dead. So I got no one to, you know, make you that right now. But whenever we get one, we can talk about it. Hundred years later. Hundred years later. And you. One hundred years later. Yeah, seriously. All right. Bring that meme in there. One, uh, exactly. SpongeBob you, voice. You are still going on about this 100 years later. This and not is only where that, my complaints come in. And not only that, but then you decide to go to the extra extreme and get your mouth sewn shut. What is wrong with you? There was that horror movie from the 90s, and I can't think of what it is right now. Somebody will probably have it immediately. The cover had the girl who had her mouth sewn shut. And I got dragged to see that because I like a good horror movie, so and that was not a good horror movie. I've not, I know, I've not seen that movie, but I know exactly what cover you're talking about. You know the exact cover I'm talking about, right? Because that disturbed me horribly. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Oh, God, this is amazing. I just put it into the... Um, uh, Strange Land. That's the one. That's 100% the one. Uh, that was a D. Snyder. The, mm, mm. the 90s were an odd time, y'all. Um, <laughs> as soon as she said that, and I have, I have a real issue. Like, generally, just face stuff. Eye stuff is a real. Eye injuries are a real big trigger yeah. for me. But that was. But this is where, and she was like all the things that I just said about the sisters. She was that like. Hmm. Little outlier out there, just and I did occasionally feel like every time I was like, "This is so beautiful, and he's doing such a good job." She would show up and be like, "Hi," <laughs> except not because her mouth is sewn shut. Um, this is the point where I'm like, "Okay, perhaps the dogma and the adherence to this ceremony. Maybe we need to take a step back." Maybe we need to take a step back and look at this because when all of a sudden you have people, because we also had this, we saw this similar thing. And I, I really like Danny Ware, but we saw this in her uh, Triumph of St. Catherine story where the girl who was chosen to be Catherine, wait for it, did not feel worthy. And I don't understand how that, and granted, you don't want the person who's like, shit, yeah, I'm Catherine. Sign me up. Yeah, but like, I am there, her. There's like some point where the imposter syndrome gets ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing where, and that's what frustrated me with that particular part of the story is it's because why didn't you have some, like, why aren't the sisters, why don't you have someone there to basically grab you by the shoulders, slap you across the face and be like, grow up. But I guess because they all feel it years. too. 100 years. Like, look, I get it. Initially you're you giving it. You didn't have Branwen? Branwen, who was convinced that she got her holy power from you? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not enough to make you feel better? Like, like if nothing else, even if that wasn't, like, your holy power, the fact that you took your time to put your hands on a little girl who was crying over spilling dirty water on your shoes. Mm -hmm. How saintly is that? 
And, right. And you still can't. Well, in both of those, both of those characters, actually, I struggled with a little bit. And that's where I. That is where I really struggle with that concept of, again, is this because it's a sister? Is it because it's a female character? Do you not want her to be like, wow. This, but like, I, I don't feel like that should be a bad thing of being like, wow, I. It's a big honor. Like, this is a big thing. Um, you know, even going beyond the Christmas pageant, right? Like in your plays in high school, right? You get to be chosen to play Seymour in Little Shop of Horrors. Like, wow, that's a big responsibility. It's okay to doubt yourself, but do it, right? The fact that they have... It would be one thing if this was the first woman ever in the history of ever who was just like, I am not worthy. But we've read two books with this particular... Bit. granted not to this extreme in that book but mm-hmm. we've also read other stories where there's like a holy ceremony or something and one of them just falls all over themselves i'm not worthy okay maybe maybe we're doing something wrong here maybe maybe we need to reevaluate how we're how we're approaching this like, because I, and i understand the feeling and that i think it's partially you know a, a, i think more women feel this way than men the feeling of that we're not worthy of something, you know, because there's a whole self, you know, women do have a, a more of an issue self-esteem than men do in general. Or men just mask it really, really well. Take your pick. Um, but at the same time, there are plenty of women that are going to be around you to do a, you know, Sharon Moonstruck thing. Snap out of it. Just. But you're here now. And I know you don't feel this way, but you're here now. No one counseled her in a hundred years. Like seriously, like Branwen, the canonists, her friends, nobody. A hundred years. I'm not buying it. A hundred years and not a single person. Not a single person. You haven't gotten over your feeling of unworthiness and playing the role of St. Catherine in a hundred years. I have a really hard time buying that. But here's, okay, so here's a, here's the thing that I would also say about that. And this is the thing that was a little frustrating with me is that if you get, like, eventually, using the current nomenclature, right, of imposter syndrome, eventually it, it is a self, it is a self-fulfilling prophecy of I am not worthy. I am not good at my job. I am not good at this. And eventually that kind of becomes true because you're so fixated on that. And you sit there and you just, you obsess over it and you think about it and just, oh, I'm not as good as these other people and I'm not worthy of this and I'm not worthy of this. And oh my God, I'm just like, and and you really get the impression that she was, this was really becoming like, this was a, this was basically a, a, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for here for her, but it was almost a handicap to her of like, so at that point, yeah, maybe you aren't. Like if it takes you a hundred years to snap out of this, like what good were you really even doing? For right. your fellow sisters, if you were so big, and the thing about the thing about imposter syndrome that we don't really talk about either, that is, and especially in this particular instance of it, it's very self-focused. Yeah, like you spend a lot of time looking inward. And look, I, as a person who occasionally struggles with it. I totally get it. I, I, I spend a lot of time doing a lot of self-assessing, right? So I'm not necessarily throwing shade of like, who even gets imposter syndrome? Because, but 
Like eventually you have to be like, wait a minute. Okay. No, like I can't, I cannot spend my whole life just looking inward and fixating on this particular thing. I have to move forward. I have to do things. And so to see a sister of battle, again, going back to that wasteful thing, she wasn't literally throwing herself at death. But figuratively, were you really as useful as you could have been? Were you all there? Were you as good Mm -hmm. as a nun with a gun as you could have been? I'm going to actually go ahead and step on a limb and say no. Yeah, probably not. And it's a little, it's a little worrisome to me because I think she was supposed to be portrayed as being very sympathetic. Maybe. Maybe. Did you like her end? No. <laughs> Sorry, phrasing. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think because I liked her character in the beginning. Because I understood it like, oh, what? no, 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 I shouldn't get this role. Like, it should be somebody else, someone who's been here longer, someone who's done better things. I understood that. And then I understood, like, at the end, she's like, I, you know, that point, she's like, I think I should take on the Repentia. And she's like, well, we can't do that right now. I was like, okay, but she'll she'll grow out of it. It's been a while. And then she didn't. I was like, if there's anything I don't like in a book, it's a character that doesn't grow. Especially a character. Now, it's one thing for the villain to not grow. Right. Or these NPCs like the cam dogs. Do they grow? Not really. No, but they're not supposed to. And it'd be disappointing if they suddenly like, you know, did an about face and totally repented of their ways. Right. I am a good person. Right. Yeah. That wouldn't have been been believable. And but for like a mean ish character to not grow. And especially to be over the timeline we're talking about to be stuck in on yourself for that long. And not change and not grow and not adapt. Like, sorry. Like, you know, time. And you know what? And I honestly. is an element here. I honestly wonder if we were supposed to be sympathetic to her. And I say that because I think Justin Hill has an interesting view on the Sisters of Repentia as it is. Uh, I wrote down like a couple of things because I barked a laugh. I think it was like, it was a God page about 122 in, in my book when they talked about how they're going to go through the, you know, the, uh, the Kikaitrix maledictum and they probably weren't going to live. And they talked about how the sisters of Repentia were cheering. I burst out laughing. So I almost wonder if he kind of finds them a little ridiculous as well. The fact that he talked about how they were cheering. And then he even you know, talks about later. That's a good point. Talks about later how. When they got released and they're like, let us at the demons. That cracked me up. Just how they're like, yes, "Yes, let's go. That's kind of funny. I would would say that you're right. Because on one hand, it was played for a laugh and it was good. And I I, I chuckled at it. I was like, (laughs) of course, they're they're cheering. But it also kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Because again, going back to the wastefulness thing. Okay, so you guys go through this Decatrix Maledictum and the whole ship, like the yellow ship fails and everybody dies. Did you really serve the emperor in the best you could? Is that your repent? Is that your repentance? Press the next out. Yeah, I feel like maybe there was a better way that you could have done that. Just, just throwing that out there. Like, oh, but sisters, you know, but Saint Celestine was in the repent. Yeah, okay, but she got over it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, when she realized that the emperor's power was flowing through her, she wasn't sitting there and going, "Oh my God, but I'm not." worthy of this power i don't need to have this like that i shouldn't have this no she sucked it up 
and she threw herself into battle time and time and time and time again. Yes, she got her repentia wish. She dies a lot. But at the same time, but she continues to serve. Right. And she also doesn't throw her life away needlessly. Right. At least not in some of the books that we've seen. Where uh, where are some of the big high-profile deaths that we've read with her lately? Right? A little thing called the Fall of Cadia. Yeah. Well, you, know. you may have heard of it. Um, she fights Karn, of all people, on that one planet where they're trying to get the um that beacon off of there because mm -hmm. they're on they're on the wrong side of the rift right um and then in her book proper that world is in serious serious jeopardy and she's able to have a noble sacrifice for herself like she again she's not just like oh there's a landmine don't worry i'll just go take it out and i'll come <laughs> back someplace else it's fine it's no big deal it i mean even she is a little choosier it, it, it's one of the again it Whereas is one of those sisters things. are repent you're like minefield let's go and just let's go i mean if we have to go through that minefield then okay that's fine whatever do what you're gonna do yeah, i still feel like we could have used you in other places well, we couldn't have, have a tactical discussion of how maybe we could trigger the minds in other ways you guys are just gonna go nope leroy jenkins we'll run across through that it. place yeah, I, I feel like there's always a cautionary tale in there about zealotry in general. Um, but <laughs> all right, let's do a little meta talk here because everything we've talked about tonight really ties into this meta commentary. You okay. and I were both a little shocked to learn that this book's getting a little bit of flack online. Um, I spent today going down a rabbit hole on Reddit. Oh, looking I'm at sorry. Oh, See, the yeah. only, I just went down Goodreads and I saw people hated it. I was reading some of the reviews. I'm just like, I guess I'm cliche. <laughs> That's all I got from the reviews. I guess I'm cliche. The only thing. So first off, let's let's start. Let's start high level. Uh -huh. Why are people so vehemently mad about this book? Like, I, basically, my thought when I was going through Reddit, when people were just talking about like, oh, it's just bad. It's just badly written. I was like, have you read any of the Dawn of Fire books? If the answer is no, then I kind of understand your hatred a little bit more. Like, are we just shell-shocked because of Dawn of Fire and a couple of other books that we've just kind of been like, meh, on lately? Like, Honestly, but I like Justin spoiled? Hill. I like his writing. I always have. So, I mean, I did like, I liked Katia Stans. I liked Bookkeeper Skull. I like this. Okay, that is actually, it's, that's actually a good question. That's a good point because I did see a lot of people who did say they were just like, oh God, these are just as bad as the Katia books. Okay, maybe, maybe he's just not for everyone. Well, it's like, okay, so we don't like Peter Fahavari. How alone were we? Oh my god, and I do that. feel like I'm the only person occasionally. Right? Like, when I look through so, Reddit, I'm like, there's something wrong with me. Well, yeah, I mean, it was like, like I said, like, uh, the reviews are on Goodreads, and they're like, oh, it's just so cliche, there's there's nothing new. And my first response to the nothing new is like, well, I don't need things to be lore-breaking every single time. And I think... Okay, well, let's, let's stop right there and say, with Dawn of Fire, with the lion coming back, with all of these like major, we just read a book about Ingron coming mm. back. Um, are we spoiled? Are we like, have we just gotten accustomed with all the books that they've been re-releasing recently? Are we, we as a fan base, are we 
is that what we're looking for? Is it does are we just accustomed to wow, no, like this this book ends in a call to Robbie Bobby? Maybe, but you know, why don't you just go back to my tirade uh, after reading a penitent, right? That I don't need every book to be some lore breaking moment. Maybe I just want a good story in the universe. This did it. It's okay. Like, what are the reasons? Honestly, like, so like, sorry to interrupt, but like, so like, no, when I'm reading comics, all right, I don't need every issue of my comic series to be this mind blowing revelation about something in the, in the universe. I don't. And actually some of my favorite comics are the ones that are kind of what they would call filler. One of my favorite flash comics ever is a random Christmas issue where it kind of takes place outside of like the main story going on in the DC universe. And he and Kid Flash are like doing these random things to kind of save Christmas, like to the point where we have um, a clay face yelling, Santa, do you want a piece of this? It's amazing. That kind of stuff is funny. Maybe it's because I, I like humor too, but I don't need everything to be so grimdark and I don't need not grimdark but I don't need everything to be like well you know this is this is where the codex changes or this is where this changes because it gets tiring for one two then you're always trying to one up you're trying to one up everything right and then you also get the issue of how many lore breaking things have we had be um retconned in the codex later right and everyone's like, oh, that's just yes. Warhammer. Okay, that's fine. That's just Warhammer. Okay, the comics do that too. It doesn't mean that I like it when it happens. Sometimes it's just nice yes. to have a story in that universe. And in a way, that's one thing. So, you know, we talked uh, like outside the podcast, but like, let's look at, some, let's look at Star Wars. All right. I really liked Rogue One. Too. One thing I really liked about Rogue One is that it wasn't lore breaking. There was nothing in there that was brand new and revolutionary. It was more bolstering. It was just, you know, like halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to die. And everyone like and Sean was like, my husband was like, what do you mean? I'm like, they're not in the fourth movie. They're not in A New Hope. I know they're going to die. Like, that's just how it is. And um, and it, and it and it made sense. You got to see, you know, Grand Moff Tarkin. How really what an asshole he really is. Like we had ideas, but now you really get to see it, like in the forefront. It and people, some of the people I know hated that movie, and I think it was because it wasn't, it didn't bring anything new. Well, I don't need something new every single time I pick up a book in a series. Now, I'll, I'll agree with that. There's issues with that. Just look at the Wheel of Time series. All right. Okay. But there's a difference <laughs> between I haven't moved the lore forward and I haven't done anything new. And three quarters of this book is just a summary of the last book. There's I, a difference. I'm just saying, like, you know, that's what I like. I just like a nice story in the universe, but we don't need to go to snail's pace either. Right. Right. Well, this to me is like, you know, we use the phrase bolter porn a lot. And bolter porn to me is kind of like summer blockbuster movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, <laughs> there's a reason that in the summer, 
all the movie studios historically pre-covid really would release all of their popcorn movies all of your action movies all of your uh romantic comedies your coming of ages right these all come out in the summer because people just want mindless entertainment they just want to go see a movie where they can turn their brain off for a few minutes and be like ah that's fun right like there are so one of the games if you don't play the box office game, let me recommend that to friends and family because we play it religiously. Um, but one of the things about the box office game that I really like is there are some movies. Every now and then you find those outliers and you're like, they released that movie in October? And it's weird. Um, the other thing that I had to explain to my husband and thank God box office has definitely like has bolstered my theory on this and my saying this and I now can point to this. Uh, when do horror movies release? In the fall and in the winter. They release in February mm. when they're not going to be releasing anything major, right? And they release around October. Um, but that's because people are, they want to get out and go and do something. So you give horror movies because it's dark and people like to be scared and teenagers, right? But this movie, th this book to me, <laughs> I was like going into this book, like after we were talking about all the hatred for it, I'm like, I just don't see anything. There's one thing that you touched on that I do want to address in here. And this is a product of Black Library slash Games Workshops' own issues. And that is the fact that they do jump that hundred. So the rift opens and then they jump a hundred years into the future. Um, so I was warned that was going to happen by by one of our wonderful people in our Discord. They talked about that. I was like, oh God, that, that, that just makes like this whole like Dawn of Fire thing and all this stuff like moot, right? Right. So I was prepared to hate it. And in the end, I really didn't because it didn't, it doesn't matter. So that was kind of where I was getting at is that, was that irritating? I think yes. that irritated a lot of people. That's it irritated a lot of people and that has come up a lot. But here's the thing that I'm going to say about that. I, it was one of those things where I read it and I was like, weird. Like, that's really odd. Did they not get the memo? Was this book in draft before that happened? Like, has this book been in editing for that long? Wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't um, think so, though. I just think it just doesn't matter. I, that, the thing that I was like, ultimately, at the end of the day, does it really matter? One of the things that you and I have said, and this has been one of our complaints slash just we've kind of come to accept this, is that what even is time in the Warhammer 40k universe? <laughs> what even is time? <laughs> like, does, is, is the Indominus Crusade 100 years? Is this book set during the Rift, after the Rift, five years before, 100 years before? No, yes, the answer is yes. I'm... Um, Ever since they stopped dating all of the stories with like, blah, 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 here on this date, M34, M42, whatever. If that's the thing, like, again, it was enough that I went, okay, weird. But I promptly figured either it was a mistake or this book was being written before they retconned and changed the timeline. Either way. It's not core. It's not necessarily core to the story. And if anything, it actually makes her whole like still being, I'm not worthy, a little more understandable if it was only 12 years. Still too long, friend, but not as obscene as 100 years. I don't but, think it was a mistake. I just think it was just a, it's just a story to tell. You know what? It, that could also be part of it. It's just a story 
Um, like he just had a story and, and that's not even like the main part of it. And like some people I saw some of the hatred for it about like it not being lore breaking. They were just like, well, it's just a really like trite is a very standard plot. It's not that exciting. There's no mystery and blah, 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 blah. Well, you guys, I got, I got a shelf full of books like that. Like Warhammer books over there. I can point to about like 20 of them over there, right off the top of my head that were either very rote I won't say trite. I will say rote, as in they're just kind of your standard plot, right? Mm -hmm. Person arrives on planet. Oh, no. Things aren't good. How do we fix the problem? Yay, we fix the problem. I also hate to break it to you, but that's the vast majority of movies. <laughs> right? I hate to break it to you. Um, that's like most things. So it doesn't, and not everything, again, you mentioned Penitent, which first off, rude second off there that book lives through and free in my head oh yours and mine both that there are so many scenes in that book those also like in the shower most often will just just pops in there just it just pops in there <laughs> why um but if that's a really I could good set fire to it like the mar the uh, giant marshmallow man but yeah, pretty much. Um, and send it, send it back through some gate of non-existence. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask in an AMA is, if you could erase any one song from existence, what would it be? And uh, I think my new question for Warhammer 40k people will be, if you could erase any one Warhammer 40k book, Black Library book, from existence, what would it be? And why is it penitent? Um, oh, you see, I have a different one. Oh, what? It's an Ultramarines book written by Ian St. Martin. Oh! Oh, 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 oh! Oh, that's a Sophie's choice. You know which one I'm talking about. Okay, I'd go with that one. I, yeah, okay. I, ooh, ooh. <laughs> because at least I can say penitent happened way in the past. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That is true. And okay, literally nothing oh. in that. And I think and literally nothing oh, that happens in that matters. That's a hard one. That's such a hard one. But it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's in the Until past. Until they make it matter. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, my God. Do you know what's going to happen? Huh? Something that's going to happen in the end of the death part, too, because Abnet's writing that. I'm assuming he is. Yeah. It's going to be referenced in Pandemonium. Um, <laughs> yay! Uh, I forgot that there's gonna be a third book. Oh, um, yeah, we can't just but, claim that Valdor is the Yellow King that Eisenhorn's been after all this time without having a third book. <laughs> We're back to erasing Penitent. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, he's just gonna have to have Marnius Gage's skull. Don't, I'm sorry, I'm very no, sorry. No, um, no, no. The good news is I think they've kind of disavowed all of the book. I think they um, kind of disavowed but, everything he wrote. But anyway, let's continue. Yeah, but um, yeah, like it doesn't need to be this level of cleverness of like, ooh. And you're right. It, it goes back to comic books. And maybe you and I just have PTSD from comic books. Maybe. Where like, again, let me tell you that like every two, three arcs of comics 
We've got to have some major reveal that, oh, you thought this all along. Oh, no. No, 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 no. It was really this. And then, like, ten arcs later, oh, you thought it was this? Oh, no, 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 no. It was this. No, it's, like not, it revealed. Just... it's not revealed in the arcs later. It's revealed in the annuals. Okay, that's true. Yes, good point. <laughs> but it's like it's one of those things where they keep just trying to make these little nuggets and these little tweak things. And now I will say that um, one of the things you and I pointed out recently was that, well, semi-recently, actually last year, was that every book that we read kind of gives this little flavor lore thing, right? Like um, the, I think it was the Bookkeeper's Skull is really where they detail grocks. Right. And the farming of them yeah we learned a lot and, about grok's ranching yes and that was it's grok's right yeah the giant lizard things yep. okay all of a sudden i was like wait did i just cross my streams in my head no nope. the there's a lot about that in there like we learned all about that right and there's all these little things here and there where we just learn these little pieces of flavor text and i will say that's not in here but again it doesn't have to be this was just supposed to be a mindless story um that mindless isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Like just a, Hey, it's kind of like vulture porn and we're going to just read about the sisters and they're going to be badasses. And I don't understand the level again, going through Reddit in particular, I was like, Hmm, people are very, very, I mean like people, there was one where somebody was just like, everything about this book is garbage. Whoa. Everything. Wow. That's a strong stance to take. And some of the Goodreads reviews, too, were just like, this is a waste of time. Okay. Maybe they'd read Requiem Infernal and thought they were reading this? I don't know. They probably also, like, think Requiem Infernal was just mind-blowing. Could be. Again, we were very alone in our thoughts about that. So if we're alone in our thoughts about this, well... I guess I'm going to be okay with that because if it's liking this over liking Requiem Infernal, then I guess that I am cliche and trite and whatever, but I like what I like. I liked the book. I thought it was fun. I was really shocked by the very low rating on it and the number of people who don't like it. And again, my first thought was, are you reading the Donna Fire books? What about, like, okay, so like, what about Kazarkin? Great book. Phenomenal book. book. Yes. Did that have anything lore breaking in it? No. No. Not really, no. But um, it was that didn't. Yeah. Um, actually, I would even go ahead and step out on a limb and say for all the people who enjoyed Requiem Infernal, nothing really lore changing in there. It was certainly was not a very original plot. Um, <laughs> time Excuse loop. You. Time loop uh, is very original. Well, yeah, time loop and woman who has like basically multiple personality, secret evil entity. Like as you said, <laughs> heroes did it, so probably not the most original plot that you've ever seen. Like again, not everything has to be this giant leap forward in the lore. And quite frankly, I'm telling people right now, like I, I feel like reading some of these reviews, I'm like, I don't know that you guys are. And I, I know that we're kind of starting to sound a little defensive here. I just was so baffled by it. And like, I don't feel like you guys read comics because this is not a path down which you want to go. Right. It, yeah. 
yeah, it only ends in frustration and pain. I, I promise you that. And retcon. So much and retcon. And so reboots. Retcon. Do you want reboots? This is how you reboots. get reboots. This is how you get reboots, people. Like, do you want the psychiatric had- maledictum to really have just reset the entire timeline? Because that's what that gets us. Because we've already had one reboot. Reboot Gulliman. hey We can't. That's actually probably one of my favorite memes. Uh, and now we just got another one with a lion. So, you know, I guess also thinking back on it, kind of doing some self-reflection here, like thinking back on like what our favorite books were over the years, there wasn't really that many that were lore breaking that we just loved, you know, outside of like, you know, uh, Dark Imperium, that trilogy. Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Oh yeah. That was one we just loved. Um, we both liked um, the lion a lot, mm-hmm. but as a whole, though, most stuff that we really, really, really liked were not these gigantic, you know, Assassinorum Kingmaker, Infinite and the Divine, and that's something oh that I would say too. Divine but was Infinite amazing. Divine. I mean, well, okay, actually, Infinite and the Divine. I said that, and then I was like, eh, actually, because it does reveal the whole idea that their resistance figure was really just another one of the Catan. Um, that's a pretty big re- reveal, but like, kind of. I my 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 caveat to that would be, oh my god, that's huge. And, like, they basically released a spoiler from ten billion years ago. Right, like it, but it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't right? really change the lore or anything. Um, it's fun. I, I really liked it. We really liked the Carcaridans book. All of the Carcaridans books that we read. Not a lot of lore changing stuff there. Um, I just, I feel as though sometimes certain books just don't land and I don't understand it. Well, I mean, what we say all the time, like it, people, people like, like different things. They do like different things. Like, I'm not here to tell you that this was like the greatest book that's ever come out. Best book we've had. No, I guess, I, was, if, I guess the, the criticism just confuses me because if you want to say this is cliche and this you know, uh, nothing changed. This didn't mean anything. Well, like you said, let's just go point. I mean, look at my library behind me. I mean, I, how many of those, you know, are not cliche or didn't change stuff? Oh, I would say a lot of them. And I would say that the ones that are trying to not be cliche and change stuff, the Dawn of Fire, are some of the weakest books in the entire Black Library history. I'm so disappointed in how disappointed I am in those books. Yeah, and that's a thing, too, <laughs> where... Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put that. And I... I feel as though... so. I'm on my, this is killing me right now because there's a really funny comment where it's like, there's a really funny comment that's the summary of every story ever told. And I can't find it right now off the top of my head and I can't remember it off the top of my head. So I will find that though and share that on the next one. Um, but it, um, there is, there's a funny pithy thing that basically is the summary of every story that's ever been told. So if you want to, if you want to really, really get reductive here. Well, I mean, what I was always told is that, you know, if you want to know every single plot, you read Edith Hamilton's mythology, Shakespeare, and the Bible. 
Or the most reductive form is two dogs, one bone. Yes. Yeah, that's that's the other version of that, of course, is two dogs, one bone. But there's another one that's really funny and I can't think what it is right now. But yeah, basically everything comes down to two dogs, one bone. And if we really want to get in the weeds there, like I want you to think of the most mind-blowing thing you've ever read or ever seen. And it probably boils down to two dogs, one bone. Like, I absolutely love, absolutely love Pulp Fiction. Love it. But the definition of that is dog trying to retrieve his bone. Yeah. You can get very, very re- reductive here. And so that's one of those things where and I'm not trying to be like all defensive, like you guys are all wrong. Yeah, I, feel it like just, we're, I feel like we're getting a little preachy. I know, right? God, it just, it was one of those things where I was like, this really shocked me. Having said that, we are now, now that we're back in the swing of things and we're getting back into our schedule here, I'm very excited that we get to read actual bolter porn. We get to read Leviathan by Darius Hinks. It's so shiny. Well, my book cover is kind of shiny. See how the reflects? It is. Mm -hmm. I do like that. Uh, It's all embossed. We don't look at this side. We just look at this side. Uh, very excited for this, even though it, even though it involves Tyranids. Wow. But we've never read a Darius Hinks book on the podcast. So there's that. Yeah, we haven't. That can't be possible. Because the only ones that we've read are the Mephiston books. And I know you didn't read those. No, absolutely not. Is that? That's true. Dang. I know because I was filling out the stuff on on our website, so I know it's the only. You one. are absolutely right. Holy cow! Like well, there we go. Because I was like, that's not true. I, like I read, I I read. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So yay, cool. Yep. Reading a Darius Hinks book. God. Now I have a lot of questions as to why that is. Anyways, join us next time for. Leviathan. Hopefully there will be no emergency surgeries, so we're going to be fine and we're going to read everything on schedule. Well, like I told you in the hospital, you've run out of organs. You can can have expunged. It's pretty true. All the superfluous ones are now gone. Yes. So, yay! (laughs) Yay, but yet not yay. Got the tonsils? I guess I forgot that the tonsils are an organ per previous conversation. I, I did say you could remove the spleen. But that's, that's like, really extreme. I'm good. Yeah. And that's another abdominal surgery, and you don't want that. No. I mean, maybe one kidney. Maybe. <laughs> I don't want to lose anymore. I'm good. Thank no, you. Let's, but let's make that a goal, right? No more organs. So, anyway... So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Pilgrims of Fire by Justin D. Hill. Be sure to join us next time for Leviathan by Darius Hinks. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crag. 
Yeah, I mean, I got the mug and everything. So, yep, I'm definitely all furious tonight. Get you some ultramarines. This is like the bluest book I have ever purchased. It is blue on blue on blue with shiny blue. Mm, that's true because you did not get the ultramarines version of the Indomitus book. No, that is, was my chartreuse. Which is probably the bluest book. So get you some ultramarines. It's like midnight blue. It's like mm. aggressively blue. Yeah. Very disappointed I was in the queue two minutes after you. Um, sound off in the queue system below because Lord knows we have thoughts. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's gone to our benefit and sometimes it has not. Obviously, this one time, it did not go my way. But, you know. Anyway, so that. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.